the NBA draft is a few weeks away. It's coming up soon. And we now have, or I have, a new updated big board for the Detroit Pistons at five. I've been changing a lot. It changed again. I'm going to tell you guys what changed with my board for the Detroit Pistons in today's episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast. You are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of the Lockdown Pistons podcast. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me over on Twitter, at Kuka Hill. I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. And if you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel, at Lockdown Pistons. Hit that subscribe button, or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That's another great way to support the podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That's prizepicks.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. Later on in the podcast, we'll talk about, is Jane Ivey actually being underrated by the Pistons community? We're going to talk about that a little later. And also, there's just a little thought process and a little, you know, I guess it's a rant of mine, I guess you guys will get later on, even later on in the podcast. The argument, I guess, will be, is three more than two? And obviously it is, but you guys will see what I mean by that question um, a little bit later. Um, but the NBA draft, first of all, the NBA finals looks like it's about to get wrapped up uh, by the time you guys listen to this tonight, Monday night. Uh, I think Denver's going to wrap it up. So the NBA finals is going to be over with, and then the offseason will have officially started, and the NBA draft will literally be just two weeks away. It's moving so fast. I can't believe we're already almost to the draft. And last time we did, or I did a big board for the podcast for the Pistons at five, not the overall draft board, but my board for the Pistons at five, I believe it was like two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago I did it. And I told you guys in that episode that the prospects at five are so close within each other that everyone's probably going to have different answers. And I'm probably going to flip flop as you watch more, as I watch more of a player, as I watch more of a prospect. And I... It's going to be, I'm really interested to see where I end up like the day before the draft. Um, because I really do think it's really close. And, and the more you watch each guy, I can see people switching up because they really are so close to each other. But I have a new big board. And I believe last time we talked about this, I had Jairus and Asar Thompson at the top. Then I had Taylor Hendricks and I had Cam Whitmore last. I had four guys. That's assuming that the top four goes Wemby, Scoot, Brandon Miller, and Amen Thompson. Now, if Amen Thompson falls to five, you take him and you run with it. He's the third best prospect in this draft. He's going to be insane. People people are just focusing way too much on what... And the last episode we did, I talked about all the competition he won against overseas, how well he did against that too. So he's been good everywhere he's went. But people are focused way too much on him not being able to shoot as if he doesn't do so many other things great at his type of athleticism, it doesn't matter that he can't shoot. He doesn't need to be able to shoot to become great. If he's able to shoot at the next level, he's going to be damn near unstoppable. Like, that's what you're talking about at this point. You're talking about a dude becoming unstoppable. But anyways, this is an Amen Thompson podcast. You guys know I'm really high on Amen. But anyways, that's assuming those top four go. So a few weeks ago, mine was Jarrison Asar kind of tied with Hendricks, Taylor Hendricks, and then uh, Cam Whitmore. Today, as of, I'm recording this on June 11th, it's changed. I now have Jairus number one, 
I have Taylor Hendricks, number two, and more on that in a second. You guys will see why I have him, too. Cam Whitmore, three, and Asar, four. Now, I want to say this off the top. I absolutely love Asar Thompson. I very much love Asar, and if it was any other team, I would have him still number one because his off-ball connectivity, his secondary playmaking, his secondary uh, ball handling, the, the potential he has as a opponent of attack defender, as a weak side protect, or a rim protector, as, as an off-ball defender, through the roof. I love Asar. He has such high feel for the game. Love Asar. The thing with Asar is this. And my questions for him with the Pistons now. I'm, I'm, and even saying this now, I'm already regretting it and kind of want to put him back at the top. But uh, I may switch this up in a few weeks. But this is where I'm at right now. With Asar, he's not like his brother. His brother is better than him. Amen is so great and so talented and so much more of an athlete that, and although he's better than Asar at literally everything outside of shooting, that. Amen doesn't need to become a good three-point shooter for him to still be great at the next level because of all the other things he's great at. Asar, that's not the case. Asar has to be a good three-point shooter. If he isn't, it's going to be a lot tougher for him at the next level. So you, if you want Asar, you're really banking on him being a good three-point shooter. And I do believe he can become a good three-point shooter. I do have a level of belief in that. But my concern is if he is not a good three-point shooter out the gate, I'm concerned then, okay, if he's not able to hit threes at a good enough level right out the gate, is he going to get then get enough on-ball reps to make his value worth it at the beginning for the Pistons? And that's my that's where I start to get concerned, is that if he isn't a good three-point shooter, you're going to need to give him some on-ball reps so he can try to bring you value as a playmaker, getting downhill, creating for others, getting to the free throw line, getting to the rim. Like Then you need to use utilize him with more on-ball to try to get more value out of him. I don't know if they'll have enough reps for him at that, if he's not a good three-point shooter, and then and you, if you feel what I'm saying, I think you guys get what I'm trying to say here. So that's why he's dropped a little bit for me. I still very much love Asar. If it was another team, I would put him at, at at the top. And him going to Orlando obviously scares the hell out of me. Right after the Pistons at six, if you were to go to to Orlando, like it, it scares me so much, man. But I love Asar. I just I'm starting to question him a little bit with the Pistons, and maybe that has more to do with me just being used to what we saw the last few years with Dwayne Casey's offense. With Monty Williams' offense, honestly, he should do great in Monty's offense. He's like exactly what you want off-ball as a secondary initiator. So maybe I'm overthinking this. And the more I talk, I'm, I'm overthinking this with Asar. Because maybe Monty, I'm letting letting uh, Casey's offense bring me down a little bit. But anyways, moving on from Asar. That's why I have him dropped before. I may change that already. Oh my god, man. But anyways, I have Jarris still number one. Um... I have I have Jarris number one still because of how good of his fe- how good his feel is how good of a playmaker he is at his size I believe in some of his offensive creation uh, ceiling um, it's a little bit questionable I'm not as high on it as I once was but I still believe there is some offensive creation there that you can tap into and also defensively I, he could be otherworldly defensive like this is a guy who's gonna be on all defensive teams for like ten plus years probably like that's how good he is defensively along with the playmaking offense. Along with his improved outside shot, I think he fits well next to Duran. Him in the short roll passing, maybe he could even do some live ball reps, playmaking off of that. Like, I really like Jarris. So, the thing with Jarris is, if you don't believe though, if you don't believe he has offensive creation upside, you need to drop him because I, it, it, without him having offensive creation upside, and when I say offensive creation, like him creating advantages for himself and others, if you don't believe he has that, then he's not as he's not valuable enough, I believe, at five. If you do believe in that, you can have him at five. I do believe somewhat in that. So that's why I have him number one for me right now at five. 
Um, Taylor Hendricks is number two for this. I don't think Taylor Hendricks, as a prospect, is going to have more individual talent. And I don't think maybe in the NBA he'll be a, like a like standalone will be more more talented or more skilled or maybe if you just put him on the court one v one that that kind of thing he won't be the most talented one out of all these guys probably not. But and there's some other guys that probably will be like a little bit more versatile or will have more to their bag I guess than him. However, the role that he would fill, the role that he does fill, is so valuable in the NBA. I think he'd be so good at it. To where he'd probably be, he has a chance to be more impactful than every other player that we're going to name. That's like a movement shooter at the four position, at his length, at his size, with his athleticism, with how great he's able to sh- spread the floor, how great he would fit next to Duran, plus how great of a weak side rim protector he would be in overall defensive growth. That would be a legit, he's a legit a 3 and D guy with crazy athleticism. I don't know if he'll ever have some individual creation himself. That's the problem, though. So, I really like Hendricks because I think he would thrive in that role and maybe he would become more impactful just because of how good he would be in that role and how viable that role is. So, if I like Hendricks. If you want to draft Hendricks, you got to trade back, though. If you, if you draft him at 5, you're probably reaching. You're not going to get enough value at 5. Now, if you don't care about pick value or whatever, then sure, I guess give him a 5. But, if you want Hendricks... I'm in the belief that you trade back then and you draft him at like seven. I think he'll be there at seven. You draft him at eight or something. You trade back, get some more assets, and then you take Hendricks. And honestly, that's probably the scenario I'm leaning most to because I really like Hendricks and getting more assets along with Hendricks, who I think could become the most impactful guy at five, I, like, I'd like i be cool with that. So I really like Hendricks. He's number two. And Cam, Cam Whitmore, look, I'm not going to be as high on him as everyone else, and we're going a little long with this segment, so I want to wrap this up. But... Everyone else is going to like Cam Whitmore because of how explosive he is as an athlete. Um, some of the some of the um, uh, potential scoring upside he has. This is the thing with Cam. I have the same concerns with Cam that that you kind of have with Taylor Hendricks. Is that I think at his best, like people are comparing him to Miles Bridges, and Miles Bridge and like that type of arc archetype is like a, a play finisher, a guy who's not tilting defenses himself, a guy who's not creating for himself. Like, he's a, a hell of an off-ball player, a freak of nature athlete, like that kind of thing. But he's not someone you're putting the ball in his hands and saying, hey, go create your own shot, go take us, like, that kind of offensive player. I don't know if he has that. And I don't be- I, I don't like his feel as a playmaker with the ball in his hands. I don't like his feel as a decision maker. I don't like his feel on-ball IQ-wise. Like, I don't like any of that with him. I don't think he's ever going to be a good playmaker. I don't think he's ever going to be a smart passer. Like, that's really concerning for me. And if you don't... And if he's just going to be a play finisher at that position, like, I'd rather just get Taylor Hendricks then. Like, I think Taylor Hendricks would be... I'd rather trade back and get Taylor Hendricks. I think him and his and, and the, the importance of his role and the importance of finding the fit next to Duran is more important than that. But if you believe Cam Whitmore has that kind of offensive creation upside himself, and you don't believe that how bad of a playmaker he was in college, he can become a better playmaker. You think he'll be a better one. Like if you believe that about Cam, I guess I could see why you have him high. I know Pistons fans love him, but the lack of playmaking, the lack of feel with the ball in his hands, the lack of decision-making. And I'm also not the biggest believer in him as a solo creator himself. That's why I have him below some of the other guys, but that's where I'm at right now. Things could change. They're all really close. Um, I'm, as I'm talking, man, I'm, I'm already starting to regret putting Asar down, man, because I love Asar Thompson, but that's where I'm at with it. What do you guys think? What's your guys' big board look like right now? And explain it to me in the comment section down below. 
or over on Twitter at Hill. When we come back, is Jane Ivy actually being underrated by the Pistons community? We'll talk about that when we come back. But first, I've got to tell you guys about one of our sponsors. This one, I've got to tell you guys a little bit about BetterHelp. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at BetterHelp.com slash NBA and get on your way to being your best self. It's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. But when we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burnt out. Therapy can give you the tools to find a more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. You can find more balance with BetterHelp. I'm telling you, it's not, people have too much of like something has to be people be thinking something has to be wrong with you to go get therapy no it could just help you get through everyday life i've went to therapy it just helps you feel better it can help you feel better about yourself it can help you feel more comfortable and confident with yourself more comfortable the way you're moving forward in your life and sometimes you just need to talk with somebody sometimes you just need a little help to keep going there's nothing wrong with that at all and better help is the best place to do that visit BetterHelp dot com slash locked on NBA today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P dot com slash locked on NBA. Find more balance with BetterHelp. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons, hit that subscribe button, or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That's another great way to support the podcast. So what we're about to talk about here with Jane Ivey is actually going to kind of segue us into the third topic I was telling you guys about where we ask, is three more than two? And obviously, face value. Obviously, it is. But you guys will see what I mean by that a little bit later. Um, you'll see. But but like I said, this is going to kind of segue us into that conversation. Anyways, this is this is the this is the thing with with Jay Ivy, and it's honestly shocking to me. Not going to lie to you, it's honestly pretty shocking to me. I feel like. He's being underrated by Pistons fans. Because a lot of the talk around the Pistons and this draft pick and, and they're building this offseason, and I, I, I definitely agree with some of it, but I think it's going too extreme and not giving credit to the players the Pistons already have. But a lot of the talk has been the Pistons desperately need shooting. They need shooting badly. They have no shooting on the team. Boyan Bogdanovich is their only spacer. You, you, the only thing Cade and Ivy need, they need shoes around them because they don't have spacing within. And it ha- it's left me thinking, like, did we did we watch the same Jane Ivy? Like, why why are people treating Jane Ivy like he's a non-shooter? Why are people treating Jane Ivy like he's not a good shooter? He was a good shooter, his rookie season, and he showed throughout the season, especially towards the end of the season that he's probably going to be a pretty versatile shooter in the NBA. His raw three-point percentage this past season, his rookie year, was 34.3%. Not great. Overall, three-point percentage is not great. 
honestly a lot better than I thought it was on 4.7 attempts. A lot better than I thought it was going to be, I should say. However, his overall three-point percentage does not do him justice for how good of a shooter he actually was his rookie year, how good of a shooter he projects to be into the future, and how versatile of a shooter he's going to be in the future. As a as an overall catching shooter, his rookie season, Jane Ivey ranked in the 58th percentile. On unguarded catch-and-shoot threes, he was one of the very best shooters in the entire NBA. He was in the 89th percentile, which Synergy ranks as excellent. He was an elite open catch-and-shooter. If he was open and you got him the ball, he was hitting it. Whether it was, And this is the crazy thing about Jane Ivey, too, this past season, which is why I'm so confused why people are acting like the Pistons don't have a level of shooting in their own starting lineup still, and we'll get to Cade in a second. But Jane Ivey, Jane Ivey shot 47% on unguarded threes. He shot 37% overall in catch-and-shoot threes. And again, like I said, it isn't just standstill catch-and-shoot threes. Towards the end of the season, you started to see him come off off-ball screens and hit movement threes. Catch-and-shoot movement threes open and make them. Jane Ivey is, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Jane Ivey's being underrated by the Pistons fans. He's being underrated by you guys. Jane Ivey is a good shooter. To, why is I don't understand why is everyone treating him like a non-shooter like he's not a good shooter he is a good shooting prospect he I think not only do I believe that he's going to be a pretty damn good shooter in the future it's because I believe he's actually a good one right now I think his biggest issue is is shot selection he takes some pretty contested ones sometimes and he did not shoot very well in contested uh threes 24 percent. Um, he took a lot of tough off-the-dribble threes I don't think he should have been taking. but oh, And when he's open, he hits the shots. And he actually got better as the season went on off-the-dribble shots too. Not just threes, but mid-range. But he, he's showing that he has the potential to be a pretty versatile three-point shooter. And even in his rookie season, again, he wasn't a bad shooter. He was a good one. So I don't get why everyone's acting like the Pistons just lack this, oh, with Caden Ivey. They have no spacing. Jaden provides spacing himself. Jaden is a good shooter. Why? Like, I don't get why everyone's acting like he doesn't provide spacing himself. So that that's that's the, my big thing with that. Like, like for example, I, and I know that I'm really high on this guy, but this is just like the best example I can give. People say if you draft Amen, you have three non-shooters now and you, you have no spacing. How is that true? Jaden is a spacer. He's a good three-point shooter. And then also, to bring up Cade, if you don't believe Cade is going to be a good three-point shooter, we have bigger issues with this organization then. Because if Cade is not going to become the shooter we thought he was coming out of college, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the Pistons. It's going to be tough for Cade. And I, I honestly, I don't have concerns about Cade being a good shooter. I think Cade's a better shooting prospect than Ivy. Cade, the, the, way, the level at which Cade shoots... From mid-range. Off the dribble. His touch from mid-range. His touch at the free throw line. And how well, how he was absolutely just sparking it in college. I, I really think this shit injury was bothering him. I, I don't see it. Why, why is everyone losing hope in, in Cade being a spacer too? So if you got Cade who's, who can shoot. And you got Jaden who can shoot. And then let's say Boyan's still on the team that can shoot. You have three guys that can space the floor. Now I know Cade hasn't proven it yet. So I can understand that. 
But Ivy has. Ivy's actually a good shooter. And Cade, let me just say this real quick. Cade from 16 to three point feet, or the from 16 feet to the three point line, he shot 48% on those in the 12 games that he played. He shot 39% from 10 to 16 feet, 42% from three to 10 feet. His rookie season, 43% from three to 10 feet, or three to 10 feet. 10 to 16 feet, 43% in his rookie season. And then to even to give even uh um more more optimism to him being a three-point shooter. Kate his rookie season, what did he shoot like 28% from deep? Let me make sure I have the right numbers. Um and that was this past season. This past season he was shooting 28. But his rookie season shot 31% on threes. On dribble pull-up threes, he shot 31%. I thought that would be way lower, but he actually was much better as a pull-up three-point shooter than I thought, even though he struggled. Like, thinking that Cade struggled, or knowing that Cade struggled as a three-point shooter's rookie season, you would have thought that number would be way down. But it isn't. It's not all the way down. It needs to be much better, but it's actually better than I thought. But this isn't about Cade. If you don't believe Cade's a, a three-point shooter in the future, then we got bigger problems. But I just want to stay with Jaden. The Pistons do need shooting. Like, I'm not saying they don't. They do need shooting. But the idea that they have no spacers in their core when I think Kay's a good shooting prospect and Jaden actually was a good shooter this past season, plus I think he can be better and more versatile. I, I just don't know why, like, usually Pistons fans, usually you guys, I feel like maybe overrate some of the Piston players. But I actually think Jaden's getting underrated here. He's a damn good shooter. And I think he's going to be even better when moving forward. So... I don't know. I, let me know. Maybe I'm off here. Maybe you guys actually do believe Jane Ivy's a good shooter. You guys haven't said it. Or why do you, despite what I brought up, despite the numbers that, that he had this past season shooting-wise that I brought up, if you still believe he's not a good shooter, tell me why. Comment section down below or over on Twitter, at Kuka Hill. When we come back, again, we're going to have a little rant session. And it's going to be centered around, it's three more than two. We'll find out when we come back. We'll find out when we come back. But first... I've got to tell you guys about one of our sponsors, Prize Picks. Every day of the NBA Finals, which could be wrapping up here soon, one Prize Picks user will win a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern Time will be randomly selected each day. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six pick flex with the following payouts six correct picks, $1 million. Five correct picks, $80,000. Four correct picks, $16,000. Full details can be found at prizepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million dollar entry. Once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal and you could be the lucky winner. And you guys are probably asking, well, Koo, how do you play the game like normal? Well, you pick two to six players to see if they score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch and Trust me, any sport you're thinking of, any, it's on there. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Download the PricePix app or go to PricePix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports today. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PricePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PricePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 with prize picks. 
So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We are free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That's another great way to support the podcast. All right, so this is going to be a little bit of a rant here from me. And like I've said throughout the podcast, teasing it. It's going to be centered around the question of, is three more than two? And obviously three is more than two. Come on. Like, we all understand basic mathematics, okay? But the point of the question is, in basketball, is the three-point shot worth more than the two-point shot? Yes. The three-point shot gets you more points than the two-point shot. Is the three-point shot much more viable now? than it was 10, 15 years ago. Heck, even maybe even six years ago, five years ago. Yes. However, what people do not understand, those who just uh, don't really understand what analytics are trying to say, those who don't really understand what analytics are and just think analytics means no mid-ranges, just shoot threes and nothing else. Like People who just think that's what analytics basically are telling teams, they are so off-base And I feel like a lot of that is at the core of some of the things I'm seeing in the Pistons community. The most efficient shot, the best shot in basketball is a layup. And what's a layup worth? Two points. That's the most efficient and the most viable shot you can get in basketball is a layup. That's what every team wants. You want to know why every team wants layups? Why that is still, despite the fact that three is worth more than two, why layups are the most efficient and the most viable shot in the NBA? For two reasons. One, it should be the easiest shot, obviously. It's the easiest one to make. And two, getting layups and getting to the rim then creates three-point shots. J.J. Redick just talked about this on his last podcast. He talked about it a little bit at depth, in depth, and I really liked what he had to say about it. Um... But I'm saying that if you guys want to go check out his podcast, The Old Man and the Three, to see what he had to say about him being an NBA player and, you know, one of the best three-point shooters ever, you know, all that stuff. If you guys want to hear it from him instead of me, since you guys, some of you guys may not trust me as much as him, go listen to him talk about it. But getting to the rim, how you generate threes, it's not just about shooting threes or having good three-point shooters. You want to be able to generate good open threes. And the way you generate good open threes and the way the teams you see in the NBA Finals, the Denver Nuggets, the Miami Heat, all the good three-point shooting teams in the NBA, they generate their open threes. Maybe not, I mean, even Golden State does too, but Golden State obviously has the best shooter of all time and maybe the second best shooter of all time. They can just go get their own threes and they don't even need to be open. They can just shoot it and they'll probably make it. So without them, but even though obviously they, they depend a lot on dribble penetration too, of course. But the point is, is that all these teams who are great at three-point shooting or, or, or you know, really prioritize three-point shooting, it all comes from dribble penetration, being able to get to the rim and get layups because then teams have to suck down and pass out, or teams have to suck down, then you can pass out for open threes. Which, why am I bringing this up? Why am I explaining this? The reason why I'm bringing this up and explaining this is because people seem to think, people seem to believe, and I'm not of this belief, People seem to believe that the most viable skill right now in the NBA is simply only being able to shoot. If you can just shoot, you're you're that you're viable and that's it. That's all you need to be able to do. You just need to be able to shoot the basketball. 
And I don't even believe shooting is the most viable skill in basketball. I I don't believe that. I think shooting is incredibly is incredibly viable. Obviously, it's 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 number two. But the number one thing that I think is the most viable with team building, the number one thing that is the number one thing that I feel like teams would love to have, and the Pistons have the opportunity to have that not many other teams do, is multiple guys who are capable of getting paint touches, being a paint touch themselves, getting to the rim, collapsing defenses, while also having the ability to finish, and also having the ability to generate open threes. People don't seem to understand, I feel like, that if you have two to three guys who are capable of being paint touches, are capable of getting to the rim, who are also good playmakers, that results in more threes. Because you have guys who are constantly requiring help defense, pulling the defense in, tilting the defense to them. And if they're great playmakers, they're going to be continually kicking the ball out to open shooters, finding the open man because they're so lethal of drivers. They're so lethal as paint touches or paint touchers and are so lethal as passers that there's only one way you can stop them, which is by helping. And even then, you're not stopping them because then they're fighting open shooters. So if you believe, like we mentioned in the second topic, the second segment, that Jane Ivey is a good shooter, which he is, and I believe, if you believe Kay Cunningham can be, is going to become a good shooter, which I believe he's going to be a good shooter. I believe he's going to be a good pull-up three-point shooter. All of that. If you believe that, and you think you, the Pistons can get a four that can shoot, I, I think they're going to get that no matter what, whether it's the draft or free agency Cam Johnson uh, Jeremy Grant, whoever. They're going to get a four that can shoot. If you have that, and then the Pistons were to plug in at their three position, a guy who's able to get to the rim consistently, a guy who is a constant paint touch like that and can finish at the rim, the Pistons will now have something that not I don't know how many other teams in the NBA will be able to have, which is three guys, in Cade, Ivy, whoever that three is, who can get to the rim, shift defenses, has enough gravity as a driver to completely tilt the defense and also be great driving kick passers and finding open guys to where the Pistons will just be routinely over and over and over again. Drive, suck down help, kick. Either open three or hard closeout. Then that guy, drive, paint touch, kick to another guy. It's going to be constant, just open threes, Open shots, good offense routinely over and over and over because not many teams in the NBA would have what the Pistons would have, which is three guys who can do that and create offense for themselves and others by constantly being in the paint because in the paint and layups at the rim are still the most viable thing in basketball and still the thing you want to take away most in the NBA, which is open layups. And if the Pistons have three guys that can do that, not only does that create more rim pressure, not only does that become or create better shots at the rim, it also generates, say it with me, everybody, open threes. So that's why I believe the Pistons and a lot of people who are following the Pistons and fans of the Pistons who are putting way too much emphasis on just three-point shooting need to understand that there's other viable skill sets in the NBA and something that's more viable than just three-point shooting that you see across the NBA. Now, obviously, do you need shooting? Yes, the Pistons need shooting. I'm not saying they don't need shooting. But the idea that that's the only thing you need on a team and that there's no other way to build a team and that there's no other way to be, you know, 
of really good offense outside of having one ball handler and three, four shooters around him. That's just not true. And the Pistons, I think, have a chance to be different and effective and, and cause defensive mismatches that I'm not sure any other team in the NBA would be able to say the Pistons can. Like, I think the Pistons would be unique and tough to guard in the future if they went that route. But that that's just my opinion. I know a lot of you guys are going to disagree with it. Let me know why in the comment section down below or over on Twitter at Kuka Hill. That's all I've got for you guys today. Thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode. Thank you guys for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen every single day. Hit that subscribe button at the YouTube channel. Leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. And until next time, I'll see you guys later. Stay safe. Enjoy these NBA Finals while they're still on. I think it's going to end tonight on Monday, Monday night. I think Denver wins the championship. And until next time, I'll see you guys later. Peace out.